when you're doing your ERP implementation, 30% of your time should be your chart of accounts. 30% of the time should be your part maintenance. 20% of your time should be your bill of materials, engineering, master, and shop resource. 10% for your numbering and document schema, because people get that wrong and it can screw you up. And then 10% for everything else, because the rest of it doesn't really matter. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. How much of an impact might unit of measure conversion have on an ERP implementation? Well, if you asked a seasoned guy who has been part of a large implementation, UOM conversions fire back pretty bad. In fact, at times, they could be a make or break for the ERP implementations. The UOM conversions not supported the way your business processes are structured could be the birth of ad hoc and Excel based processes. So what are the pitfalls when it comes to UOMs? How to find the UOMs? That will be a bottleneck to your implementation and processes. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss UOM conversions, business processes, best practices. We covered many grounds, including concepts such as sales, consumption, purchase, and usage-based unit of measure in their interactions as you process different transactions. Finally, we covered the differences in the unit of measure best practices across several industries, the impact of the unit of measure on SKUs, and how the inconsistencies across different systems might impact the unit of measure. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. If you are joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series, for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. And today, we are going to be talking about the unit of measure. We are going to start with everybody's intro. I am going to uh, start with my intro. I am Sam Gupta at Elevate IQ. And at Elevate IQ, we are the independent. Uh, ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. We help our clients with the system selection, contract negotiation, uh, ERP implementation, uh, as well as any sort of uh, architecture related needs. Uh, Bob, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Absolutely, Sam. Bob Feathers, I work for Bindable. We are a SaaS provider in the insure tech space. We enable the technology to help our clients do alternate distribution for insurance products. But I come here today with 30 years of manufacturing experience operations, finance, client services, and of course, ERP implementations. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Bob, for that. Uh, David, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yeah, pleasure to be here. I'm David Dozer. I'm the president at Blaze IT. We're a reseller and implementer of cloud ERP solutions, and um, we're very excited to talk unit of measure um, today. <laughs> okay, amazing. Thank you so much, David, for that. Mark, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure. Good afternoon. Uh, thanks for having me, Sam. Uh, my name is Mark Lilly, uh, president and CEO of Lillyworks. Uh, 
The team behind Lillyworks actually created uh, several different ERP systems, um, all that had um, various methods of unit to measure conversion. So um, excited to talk about that. I, I like the analogy of a, of a gearbox where if it's lubed up and the gears are fitting well, uh, like if you've uh, established, as we'll, we'll hear from Bob, um, where we, you've established your unit of measure conversions and, and the definitions well, then you're going to have a really smooth running car. Um, if not, then maybe just the opposite. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Mark. Jay, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yeah, Jay Schneider. I'm the founder and CEO of uh, B2B Squared. Uh, we work with manufacturers and distributors uh, on e-commerce, uh, digital product data, uh, basically uh, all that stuff that kind of happens outside the firewall from a transaction perspective. So uh, looking forward to the discussion today. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Jay. So, Bob, I'm actually going to start with you for the first question, and that is going to be just setting the stage for the unit of measure, why unit of measure is so important, and uh, just tell us any stories that you might have. Later. Sure. So, as I like to say, Sam, is ERP is a repository for transactions. That's all that a lot in life is, is just receiving your transaction, and the two foundations behind that are my chart of accounts, which is a roadmap to organize the state of my organization, what my worth is on my balance sheet, what my current earnings are on the, the P&L. And the second most critical component of your ERP is part maintenance. And the word maintenance in ERP equals rules. It's where you establish the rules that are going to drive your executables into that chart of accounts so you can re recognize and measure your business correctly. So when you think about part maintenance, it's going into all your, it's telling all the other modules what to do. So it's going into your sales module, it's going to your inventory module, purchasing module, your MRP, your scheduler, and your manufacturing engineering. And all those parts reside in those modules that are doing something, executables and having transactions, which are then being received by your chart of accounts. When you get into your unit of measure, there's kind of five critical elements. There's a unit measure itself, which is the stocking kind of unit of measure is the way to look at it. It's how you keep that part in your inventory, how you recognize it, and what its relationship is to what you make or sell. Uh, you have the purchasing unit of measure, which is the relationship is driven by your vendors. And it's typically how you're going to buy it from your vendor. The PO you need to put into that purchase unit of measure because that's how he wants to see his purchase order. And then the selling unit of measure, which is how you might sell it to your clients that Jay kind of mentioned in the B2B space and that e-commerce is how your customers want to buy it from. So they don't care how you make it. How do, you, how do they want to buy it? How do they want to see it? So <clears throat> behind it are the two other most critical components behind those three as you build those up are the conversion, unit measure conversion table. And so that it builds up two people, two places. One is the relationship between those those three. So maybe I stock it this way, but I purchase it this way. So when I purchase it, when I bring it in, I need to convert it into how I stock it or how I, how I make it and then how I sell it, I need to convert it back that way. The other place that comes into play is in your bill of materials when I'm making a product or finished good for my client is how do I absorb those raw materials and what's the relationship of those raw materials to what I'm making and how do I bring those in. The other, the fifth component is the divisor, and this is kind of in the background of the of unit of measure, and it tells your system what you can do with the part. Easiest way to explain it is it kind of goes from zero to five, five being the decimal points, zero being none. So the easiest way to look at it is I have a piece, and a, the piece in the background for that part, the, you know, the divisor would be zero, meaning I can never have less than this. I can never have half a piece. So divisor is really critical too, um, and you have to make sure you use that correctly. So those two pieces, the conversion, and the divisor behind that part uh, helped to drive kind of rubber meets the road. So if you get that wrong, you can imagine we talked about it last week, physical inventory and your digital inventory is every transaction you do out there, if these conversions are wrong, that digital to physical just starts going farther and farther and farther apart, 
which means your balance sheet and your cost of goods are going farther and farther apart from reality, and you're making lots of adjustments to what you're seeing or what's going on. So rubber meets the road. Unit of measure is where it's at. It's, 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 it's the crux of your ERP implementation. You better get it right. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Bob, for that. So, David, I'm actually going to come to you, and I am going to set the stage a little bit uh, overall in terms of the units of measure, right? Uh, because each system, each ERP system handles unit of measure very differently. You are going to have baby ERP systems that are not going to have as rich functionality as some of the larger ERP systems. And sometimes what I have personally seen is the super smallest, uh, you know, baby ERP system may have the unit of measure only at the company level. Mm-hmm. And technically, they are going to have only one entity in one site. So everything has to drive the unit of measure. And then you are going to have a lot of problems if you are going to have any sort of variables. Uh, from the unit of measure perspective, at the item level, then you don't really have that control. So you are probably uh, going to be doing a lot of manual work. Uh, and then, you know, there are some ERP system that may have at the product category level, but they might not have it at the item level. And then there is another layer of purchasing versus sales versus how the inventory is carried. Uh, some ERPs are really, really, you know, super strong if they are going to be slightly more distribution centric. Because that's where the unit of measure is really, really important. In case of manufacturing, it is important, not so much as it is in um, in manufacturing. So from your perspective, what have you seen when you look at the unit of measure? Have you seen any sort of limitations in this? I'm, I'm definitely going to steal your term baby ERP there and, and use that again in the future. I, I like that a lot. But um, yeah, to, to piggyback on some of Bob's points there, um, yeah, you really need the system to be aligned with what's necessary for the business. Um, you know, coming from manufacturing distribution background, um, that kind of corporate level unit of measure just doesn't cut it. You know, you've got to at least have those stocking to purchase to sales to manufacturing to measure to to really be able to keep things in line and and keep your inventory straight. And on top of that, it's about the master data management of that as as well. I I had a very applicable scenario yesterday. Actually, I was out with a client um, and there was a big mishap and misunderstanding between the accounts payable folks and the purchasing people because in purchasing, they had ordered um, a, a roll of material or they thought they were ordering a roll of material. And on the payable side, they get the invoice and it's actually in feet. So, you know, there was a big discrepancy there and, you know, everybody's yelling at everybody and figuring out whose fault it is. Um, But, you know, that goes back to kind of the underlying point that the unit measure seems small, but but there's significant dollars attached to a a unit of measure mishap. And, you know, I'll, I'll counter a little bit even on the manufacturing side because a lot of times there can be a lot of complexity in how you know how you're buying those raw materials versus sometimes how you stock it versus sometimes how you actually consume it um, in that in that manufacturing process and that can get really tricky especially in some of those systems that that are a little bit more limited and then you know, on the flip side, on the sales side, and I'm sure this is something Jay will get into deeper with the e-commerce side of things, we work with customers too that need to sell in multiple units of measure. And that can get tricky as well. So maybe you can sell in an each or a case or even a whole skid, and you don't want to have separate, you know, SKUs set up for each one of those. So that adds a whole layer of complexity of, you know, and sometimes customers get price breaks off of that. So it can get very very sticky, very quickly. And, and that's why really having the right people too that have to know that. And, and that's where it becomes more than just a system thing is you've got to have the right folks in place as you're managing the unit of measure to understand how those 
conversions work and and you know bob had mentioned about the divisors there like listen i'm i'm not great at algebra but some of those can get you know very complex when you get in and start having to do the math on that so it's about understanding the products understanding how you're purchasing and how it's being used you know throughout the organization there because that like i said that can get very sticky very quickly Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, David, for that. So, Mark, I'm actually going to come to you, and I am going to continue with the same layer that, you know, manufacturing versus distribution. So, when I look at the ERP systems and one consistent trend that I typically see, the distribution-centric ERP systems, they tend to have slightly richer uh, unit of measure functionality. Not sure if manufacturing is going to need that as well. If there are going to be manufacturer sort of distributor, they are probably going to require very deep uh, unit of measure functionality, but if you are talking about core manufacturing ERP systems, they typically don't have as rich uh, unit of measure functionality. So, in your experience, what has been your experience overall when you look at unit of measure and any problems that may happen because of that? Sure. So it um it kind of depends where you look. In other words, you you mentioned a, a distributor or distribution type system would and needs to be stronger in unit of measure than a typical manufacturer. And I say that, and I think you're you're definitely right in like sales, for example, right? Yeah. Maybe even purchasing, but certainly sales because they want, um, you know, to be able to uh, their customers buy it in eaches or a twelve pack or a case or what have you. So so that that needs to be very strong with many options. Um, in manufacturing, there's there's actually one one area of unit of measure that that applies that that we haven't mentioned yet. Now, there is a, um, a, a usage unit of measure oftentimes in manufacturing software that says how much of a material, so regardless of the stock unit of measure, you can describe on the bomb how much of that material you're going to need. And that's often, often expressed by you know, the, the quantity per of the, of the end item that you're making. So it comes down and does the multiplication for you. What's interesting is that when you get into the manufacturing process itself, there's a unit of measure. Okay, so if you're moving from one operation to another operation, you may have done, let's let's just take a simple example for cutting. Maybe we take some steel bar, for example. And uh, and regardless of the pieces at the end, you have, and maybe a bar needs to go through a few operations before it gets cut. So now you're dealing in in something that's a bar length, but now it's cut. And now the number of pieces in the work order isn't, isn't the same anymore. It's it's different, right? Yeah. So it's a unit of measure on what you might call a production material, and this is really very important. Um, one of one of uh, uh, an example we had recently within the past six months is we encountered a client that was um, they they had this situation, and what they were doing was instead of a let's say it was a four operation step process to manufacture their end item. Instead of having a work order with the four operation steps, they literally had a work order for each operation step because they didn't know how to deal with this change in unit of measure from when it goes from one step in the process to the next. So they were literally issuing material, doing the step, receiving it into inventory, reissuing it back up, and so on and so forth for four steps incredibly complex, huge amount of administrative burden. And um, so, so again, something where if that work order can handle a production unit measure, then, then it makes sense, both from production planning, scheduling, 
and, and even the costing areas. So that's actually a very interesting point. And I actually want to retouch on that, to be honest. Okay. And I'm going to throw another word there and David is going to like this. Okay. So this time it is going to be the toddler ERP. Uh, it's not just going to be the baby ERP. Uh, and the reason why I am using this is because obviously you are not comparing this with QuickBooks. Uh, these ERP systems are going to be slightly bigger than QuickBooks. But the point that you mentioned about having work order for each of the routing staff, I have seen that in a lot of legacy. The reason why they did that is because they could not support the routing as part of their bomb. Because if they did that, the transaction is going to be so thick that the system capacity cannot support it. So I guess the older ERP or the legacy ERP system were really limited. And what they had to do is absolutely right. They had to create one job order for each of them, and they don't really have the centralized view of the entire manufacturing process. I don't know how they are going to do planning. If you ask me, okay, the answer is going to be spreadsheet. So in your opinion, when you look at this one work order for each of the operation, what are the issues that you have seen from the unit of measure perspective? Um, so it's they well they the, the point was really that they they solve it they solve yeah. that problem by you know using it using a different unit of usage unit of measure for the different item as it gets received so when it gets received in as one item then it gets it gets issued out as a as in a different unit of measure right so very interesting so Jay I'm actually going to come to you so you know that conversation is going to be similar because obviously you have a lot more background in the distribution space. Uh, and obviously, the main thing, I think uh, Mark already mentioned that, uh, you know what, if it is going to be the sales side, that is going to be driving a lot of things from the unit of measure perspective, because, you know, distributors are really responsible for repackaging this, because that's where they are going to gain the efficiency. Manufacturers are simply going to ship the pallet, and that's it. They are done. Their job is done. So from your perspective, when you look at the distribution versus the manufacturing ERP systems, have you seen any issues when it comes to unit of measure? Yeah, and uh, definitely seen some issues, and and I think there's a couple of things to to remember in in sort of the whole discussion of unit of measure and and uh, you know customer facing data and and things like that, and and obviously uh, you know some of these things tend to be uh, you know the the real use cases for why you would have a PIM or you know other other places where you have repositories of customer data uh, than not ERP data, right? So so the so interesting. Interestingly, um, you know, we talked about the different uh, sale units, right? So, so pieces and cases. And I've actually seen situations, a, a, a global manufacturer uh, that will remain nameless, but um, because of the, um, you know, the, the complexity within the organization, um, they chose to uh, make the SKUs based on materials, right? So, so this is where we start getting into real issues because now, well, that same material can be sold in a, you know, an eight ounce, uh, you know, bottle, it can also be sold in a case, right? So, so now we have one SKU that represents two different units of measure. And, and obviously that's not something that's going to play not only on your e-commerce site, certainly not on Amazon. So, um, you know, those are the things that I think, but I'm, I'm sure that when the decision was made, it was, it was made because from a, uh, you know, from a, from an in and an output standpoint, it made most sense to have one material skew uh, all the way through station. So, um, so that's definitely one of the one of the areas that I've I've seen uh, issues with it. I think one of the other things too is just understanding that you know um, customer facing data is just different, right? So if I have a three inch washer 
or a three, you know, then, then, you know, that, that unit of three inches might be something that somebody wants to, to sort by, right? So I want, I might want data. Now, you know, the, the data side of it is different, right? So if three inch period is what's in the ERP, that's not going to be something that's searchable or something that I can use in faceted search in e-commerce. So, so I think that's where, uh, again, it, those are the things that, that, that build the use cases for things like PIM, um, but certainly something that as it relates to, to ERP implementation, you know, if you can if we can think those things through, at least in terms of uh, sale units, then I think uh, we're ahead of the game. So, uh, so that's the only end I, I deal with it, but definitely have seen some issues, Sam. Very cool. Thank you so much, Jeff, for that. So, Bob, I'm actually going to come to you, and I'm actually going to build on what uh, Jay just said. And that is going to be, so he's saying that, you know what, you need to have only one unit of measure per SKU. And this is this goes back to your sort of SKU design. Some companies uh, have, you know, multiple unit of measure per SKU. Sometimes they are going to be all over the place in terms of the way they are going to design, depending upon how their ERP system is set up and the underlying limitations as well. So from your experience, when you are designing these SKUs, are you going to design per SKU? And sometimes each SKU could be sold in thousand unit of measure. So are you going to have thousand SKUs or uh, have you seen any other ways of dealing with it? Yeah, it depends on your system, but there's a few different ways to, to view it. it depends. So Again, I, you know, from Jay's standpoint, I, I agree. There's this whole kind of concept of I need to represent this and how I'm going to sell it. There's got to be some representation of what that looks like. Now, depending on what you're making, there can be elements. Again, you could have a part that says, again, inside of my system, it says, I know what I, how I identify it. But how the client sees it, I could somehow in the background, say, have a customer part number attached to that. So I could have multiple part num- customer part numbers attached to my screen and have some conversion in the background that represents how they want to buy it. So a, a case. So I could say like in my, in, you know, in mine, it's like one bottle, right? That's kind of my, that's what I'm manufacturing, manufacturing a bottle. But somehow inside of this, I created so that for him, I'm selling him a case that represents, say it's 12 bottles, right? And so I have that conversion inside of the part. So, and it comes in the customer part number. So I have this built inside my part. That's a nice sophisticated system, right? You can have, the, you can have these multiple customer SKUs inside of your part. So that's one way around. That's a really great way to, again, if you didn't have the ability, right, and didn't have that kind of level of sophistication, you probably would have to kind of go these, create these. Um, but again, you could, again, there's sometimes where you have these customer part numbers, you can kind of keep them over here. Again, if you're sophisticated enough and just grab it through an API, right? Just don't, just go and say, hey, go into my inventory, grab 25 and create the sales item by just doing a little calculation in the background. So again, so you're kind of reducing the numbers. It's kind of just a way to, because the customer really doesn't care. They just want rep, they just want to buy it. They just need to see some representation of what that looks like. Um, so how you re, how you show it to them could be more virtual, right? Just saying, this is how I'm going to show it to you. In the background, it's still just one bottle, but I'm going to kind of show it to you as 12 or a case. Um, so yeah, there's different ways to approach it. I don't know if that kind of helps or sets the stage. It, it does. Thank you so much, Bob. So David, I'm actually going to come to you, and this conversation has become uh, you know definitely interesting. And I'll tell you why I am finding it interesting is because, number one, when you look at the the sales unit of measure, the only thing it does in my experience, uh, and correct me if I'm off here, so when you have the sales unit of measure, the only thing it does is it basically defaults that unit of measure when you are going to be creating the sales order. It does not mean that you cannot override that with something else, and then you are going to have the conversion table, and the conversion table is going to take care of that. It's just an additional manual step. It does not mean that 
the skew that you are trying to sell that you cannot sell in uh, other unit of measure. So uh, if people don't know how this all works, do you want to paint some colors there in terms of the overall uh, transaction? About yeah, as, as, as you get into more sophisticated or tall types of, of systems there, you know, that's where a lot of that can be structured and maintained. And it's, it's strictly a, a matter of, you know, putting in what the unit of measure is and that conversion happens. I have seen and, and had to solve some challenges in the past where you don't quite have that sophistication and some legacy systems and you know you might have that single conversion from your stocking unit of measure to your sales unit of measure and that is a default but then you get into customer service folks having to you know do some math on a calculator to the side to convert from you know whether it's eaches or maybe especially when you get into things like pounds and you know converting pounds to like a tote size or something like that each is a little easier when you get from you know one to a case of 12 or something like that that math is a little easier so that's where you know if if you have kind of those more com complex needs on the distribution side to support those multiple unit of measures it is important to find a system that that really supports that and from a maintenance perspective, you can set up all all those conversions. To your point, Sam, yeah, almost any system you can override that, and you can change what the you know unit of measure says on the order acknowledgement. But it just puts a burden on on staff then to know how all those converts work and to, to maintain that and and manually do it. So just like a lot of other areas, you want to build that build that sophistication into the ERP system as opposed to relying on a, a person to have to do it. And, and one other point I'll make on that too, that's all kind of contingent on going back to Bob's one of the very first points about the divisors or being divisible. Yeah. You know, again, you, you still want that to go from that base unit to these sort of incremental values as you go up as opposed to crazy arbitrary, you know, cross packaging type of things. Like you, you don't want to have the same skew trying to really represent different types of packaging almost unless it goes into that other packaging and, and that's just something to be thoughtful and careful yeah very cool thank you so much david for that so mark i'm actually going to come to you and i am going to build on your uh, you know last uh, commentary that you had provided overall in terms of the usage so the way i see the usage in the manufacturing environment i mean that almost sounds like more of the formulation because what you are doing is you are basically comparing the percentage of the finished good and based on that you are really trying to compute how much product is going to be used during the production process so are there any specific industries that require this specific functionality i don't know if uh, my listeners are going to be familiar if they actually utilize the usage functionality i don't know if i'm I have seen that in a lot of industries. So do you have any specific examples of the industries where this, this might be applicable? Um, yeah, really. The, the one I'm thinking of was a, um, uh, a company, and, and this is relatively simple. They, they had uh, bars. They, they actually went through a, um, a, a kind of a, a powdered metal process where they, they created bars in, in a certain process. And then at, at some point, they, they cut the bars in half. And so, so where you had, you know, your end quantity was a hundred, they, you back that up and, and it, it started with, you know, 50 bars and it's, it's some operation in the middle. They cut them in half. And now you're, when you report an operation complete, you're, you're not reporting 50 complete. You're reporting a hundred or a subset of a hundred. So it's, it was at that, you know, that operation. And it, it could be from one operation to another where this transformation occurs. Um, so that's, that's just one example. 
Um, the the other one, uh, and honestly, the the other one that I was talking about, the the situation wasn't as much of the the unit of measure conversion. It was more, and they they were receiving material into inventory. So because they the, the folks in production weren't really either proficient or weren't willing to actually report the quantities complete. So it fell on an inventory control role to actually count the, the number of complete out of each operation. So they did the receipt and then the reissue back up to the next operation was what was happening there. But we've seen the unit of measure conversion in that situation as well. The other, the other thing you get into that's related is, um, is what you might call convergence, where in WIP, on a single work order on in WIP, you've got multiple sub-assemblies coming in. And those, those sub-assemblies could, you know, into a welding operation or an assembly operation, for example. And those, those sub-assemblies could have different units of measure and different quantities, right? You may have five of one sub-assembly coming in and then, and two of another. And, and those get, you know, uh, assembled together and that sort of thing, um, all, all within the same work order. So we call that convergence. And then, of course, there's the, the opposite of that. And that's, that's divergence. And, and I've heard some examples already of that where, where you're taking a material and creating several different production materials out of that. And again, typically you need to receive those into inventory, reissue them back up to separate work orders. But in some uh, in some systems, you, it, it can be one work order. So you you have like a laser operation and a nesting program where you produce many different materials and those materials can then come out. Um, a left and right is a perfect example. Right. So you you have it at some operation step. You're cutting something in half to get a left and right. You're machining those left and right separately. And then they're actually coming back together further downstream. So it's a situation where you've got divergence and convergence all in the same work order. And clearly, um, unit of measure needs to be a part of that. Yeah, so very interesting. So uh, on that note, since you mentioned the receiving in the inventory, you know, I am going to have one follow-up question, and that is, uh, you know, the way the small to medium sizes operate. And that is going to be, you know, they are always thinking, how can I reduce the effort? Which is good. You should make your processes simple, but not at the expense of data gathering, because you need to gather enough data to be able to have enough insights. So with unit of measure, one of the you know key feature in any ERP is going to be backflushing. Okay, so backflushing is going to just backflush. You don't have to do anything, and then you know you are going to look at your material transaction. You are going to look at your uh, you know usage, the term that you described, and then you are going to be confused. Okay, why am I seeing this unit of measure here? It is not making any sense. Have you seen any scenarios? Because of backflushing, because you are doing too much automation, but then you are not really understanding, you know, how much material is being used and if the material that is being used is right for, for your operation. Yeah, so th this is a this is a really you could have a conversation about this topic on its own, really, and that is with with the one of the dangers in backflushing is, and then it gets back to the sit to the system. Does the system allow uh, inventory to be driven negative? Okay. So with with backflushing, oftentimes, especially if the issues originally weren't performed or the operation completion along the way wasn't performed correctly, that can be a common occurrence. And just just ask Bob about the nightmares, because I'm sure he's lived it, the nightmares of, of costing in an environment where inventory has gone negative. Um, it's it's not pretty. Um, some some systems prevent that with backflushing. Some will say 
you know, do do not only allow a uh, a, a back flushable quantity um, based upon what's already been reported, issued, issued out. And so 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 things are tighter and some systems just straight out will not. And it might be a, a flag or a setting will not allow negative inventory. Um, it's it's a can be a pain in the butt for the users because they can't they can't do a transaction because the, the previous people didn't do their transaction yet. Right. But on the other hand, it saves, um, you know, your your uh, a tremendous amount of costing headaches. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Mark, for that. So, Jay, I'm actually going to come to you. And the question for you is going to be overall discrepancy between the systems. And each system treats the unit of measure differently. And when you are talking about e-commerce distribution, you know, you are probably going to have e-commerce and ERP. They need to talk to each other, right? So I'll give you an example. If you actually choose a manufacturing ERP system, but utilizing it for the distribution, okay, you are going to see a lot of challenges there because it's not really designed for that. So when you have unit of measure captured in one way in one system, another way in another system, have you seen any issues because of the inconsistency between these systems? Sure. I think you can have a number of, of different issues. Uh, obviously, pricing comes to mind uh, as, a, as an issue. Uh, you know, if you're selling something as a, as a piece and as a case and they each have the same SKU, you know, now all of a sudden, uh, you know, the case that I was talking about before, in that particular case, we actually had to, we actually had to build a suffix into the SKU so that, um, you know, we could uh, determine, you know, whether it was a piece or whether it was a case because we were selling both on, in, in e-commerce. And so, you know, we had uh, not only the accounting for it uh, on the, you know, on the front end with the, uh, the pricing API, uh, but we also had to strip it out on the back end when we, you know, push the order into ERP. So, uh, so yeah, there can be a number of issues there uh, as it relates to, you know, to, to different uh, unit of measure when they're, when they're not in harmony. Uh, so, and, and then obviously, uh, again, when you start talking about the data part of it, um, I think the reality is that there's a lot of, a lot of companies that are looking at PIM or maybe they've heard of PIM or maybe they're thinking about it, evaluating it. I mean, they're, they're still using their ERP data. And, and so I think that's where a lot of the challenges come in the fact that, you know, ERP data is being aggregated in a certain way. And obviously when you're talking about manufacturing companies, many manufacturing companies, uh, go through acquisition, right? So they have this shoebox full of data and, and inconsistencies and in measure and other things, uh, just even with the, uh, the, the, the SKU data. So, um, so those are things that obviously have to be accounted for on the e-commerce side. Uh, and like I said, one of the use cases oftentimes for why you would have a PIM uh, to account for some of those things. So. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Jeff, for that. So, Bob, I'm actually going to come to you. So, uh, either you can pick up the, I think you have a story that you would like to cover related to a teenager uh, ERP system. Uh, that's another term that we are going to throw today. So, either teenager ERP system or any inconsistency that you have seen because of the multiple systems in the architecture. Yeah, so I want to jump back on Mark's. I want to, one correction. I said five elements is really six because I lumped in universal conversion usage one into that same thing, but He's right there, kind of like two different ones. So, um, But on the usage, I want to jump on Mark. So I had experience, and it, some of ours was easy, right, in terms of what I was manufacturing was a card. We were making credit card blanks, right? So easy to kind of think about. So everything was a relationship because I looked at it from the standpoint, of, this is what my customer wants. It's a card. That's what I'm going to manufacture on the floor. But going back to what Mark said is, I don't make a card. It starts out, I have a, raw, a, a sheet, a substrate that I'm printing on. So I'm printing 72 cards. 
right? So everything now is a relationship to I'm making a card, so I need to go and make a million cards. Well, how many sheets does that represent? So I've got to do the math and kind of figure out what that usage is, like what a sheet represents. So it's easy, you know, one divided by 72. Pretty easy, not too bad. But then the next material line is I store it in pounds. So now I've got to have a relationship of how much is this roll that when I'm going and I, so again, I know what it is, right? Because I know how big my sheet is. So as it's rolling across and I'm going to cut it to size, but I kind of know what that is. But I have to understand what that size is and the volume and the density of that material. So again, I've got to have a calculation that's based on the density and the volume of that pound in representation to that size. And if I have any material changes from my, my uh, vendor, which has happened, right? So I'll have a certain assumption say, okay, this is what I know it to be, but my vendor makes some change, slight change in the material and it changes the density. Well, my, my, that unimeter conversion now is off and I'll find out over time when all of a sudden I'm like either have lots of rolls on the floor, like, wow, the system says I have nothing, but there they are, or the opposite. I don't have any, but the system says I have some. And so you have this constant, like, what's going on? And you got to go back to that usage unit of measure, make sure, do I have the right calculation? You won't find it out, slight, like slight, but it kind of goes long to go off. So anyway, our experience was, you again, had lots of different uses of measure depending on, and then we had things where it's one chip, you know, chip going in, or we had mag tape. Mag tape is, we store it in feet. We buy it in rolls, store it in feet, and then issue it, but it has to have a divisor, because I'm going to now use fractions or fractions of a foot. So I got to make sure my divisor's right. Um, then I'm going to use a box. And the box is, you know, I can't have less than a box, but I got to put 250 cards into a box. So how do I, you know, kind of, so there's all these kind of, you know, scenarios or it's, you know, kind of interesting. But we have had a little of that where you will convert something to something else. Typically, the way we dealt with it, we were doing a lot of make order items, is we had some kind of stock materials. So back to Mark, you know, we wouldn't do the sub assemblies inside of it because those get too, they get a little intense, but also the sub assemblies might be for, Lots of different customers. So you can say, it's okay. I'm going to bring this material in, leave it here in this raw state. And when I have certain demand for the sub-assembly, I'll go and start to make some sub-assembly and then store those. And then those are what goes into my bill of materials. But I can see that demand through both. I'll kind of get that demand cycle. So it's a little complex, but it, you know, can, you're trying to minimize the transactions and the touch, but also at the same time, have a good view to what your needs are. Okay, and I'll maybe, go on one more, okay. sorry, back flushing. I've seen it before. It gets really tricky. I would say, you know, backflushing is fine if you have a process that has lots of minute touches where it's like lots of processes, right, that happen really quickly. Maybe it's, you know, the quantity of one, but it goes through 10,000. I think we use it for uh, personalization, right? You get an order and you're doing distribution personalization fulfillment and you get 100 files in from the bank. Do these five cars, do these 10 cars, do each one is a different customer. These are very fast touches going through a very fast process. I don't necessarily want to have that person doing like inventory and or labor transactions because they're happening so quickly. It's like, when did I start this thing? And at the end, when did I, you know, when it is done and just kind of go and consume everything as long as your process is solid that you don't have necessary scrap. You really know if you're going to have fallout. Like there's going to be a certain amount of fallout in, in the envelope or whatever. You'd have to make sure you did that because you could backflush always exactly and then be out of material because you're not consuming the scrap because you're always throwing away envelopes. You don't know about it because you're not recording it, or you do too much and calculate too much scrap, and then you're like, your, your inventory goes down to nothing, but you still have it. And then what happens when you have inventory and you find it, you adjust back in. So but your cost of goods has already gone out, and now you're adjusting in. So now you're really falsely reporting, right? You're creating something in your balance sheet that really was already out in your cost of goods, and you might not find that out, right? That's your, that's your divergence again, until you kind of do your books and you go like, 
these things aren't like the other. What's going on here? So amazing! Thank you so much, Bob, for that. Uh, David, uh, would you have any comments related to any inconsistencies that you have seen when multiple systems are going to be? Yeah, and and not even necessarily multiple systems. And and I will say on the backflushing front, I I would love to have a two-hour conversation about the pros and cons of, of backflushing on a, another um, session, perhaps. Um, but kind of tying it all all back to unit measure, even within a single system, you can really still run into some challenges, especially on the manufacturing front and making sure that you're consistent. And and one example I've seen in the past that, you know, it's a problem that sometimes needs to be solved is making sure that consumption lines up with your physical product. So what I mean by that is specifically, um, like, think about like a, a sheet or a roll of steel material, and you may be consuming that like in feet, but you need a, a continuous roll in order to, to feed the operation. So the ERP system, if you're stocking and consuming that in feet, as opposed to the appropriate unit of measure, it might say you've got plenty to do that job. You've got, you know, 300 feet, but those 300 feet is a 10, a 10 foot piece and a hundred foot piece and a 50 foot piece. And you go out to grab it and it's useless because you don't have a continuous roll to, to feed in. So, you know, I just kind of wanted to make sure to bring that up because that's something I've really seen be a challenge for folks and, and kind of a, a got you when aligning those unit of measures with your, with your manufacturing process. And it's something to be very thoughtful about on the front side when you're designing those bills of material and when you're, you know, setting up how those operation steps are going to flow and, and work and consume that material. Amazing. Thank you so much, David. Uh, so Mark, do you have any, any stories related to inconsistencies that you have seen? Uh, between the systems? No, well, one one thing David just mentioned made me think of um, there's there's actually another another unit of measure we can talk about. Yeah, yeah. that is if so if if this is there are some systems that support the idea of piece tracking, so you can actually have visibility in the system of not just that you have 300 feet or 300 square feet, for example, but you've got you know five pieces of of this width. And, and length and and the and even you know into three dimensional things so so then then the question of course becomes all right what's the unit of measure of the pieces that you're measuring the dimensions in and those conversion factors too so it can get it can get complicated fast okay amazing thank you so much mark for that so jay uh anything that you might want to add related to inconsistency that you have seen systems no, nothing other than than what I had mentioned before. Just uh, how sometimes uh, inconsistencies will require, you know, APIs to be adjusted and and other things to be uh, adjusted in in you know in the site. But um, I, I guess from from my perspective, Sam, I'm just uh, I'm thankful I'm dealing with those things outside of the uh, the firewall because back flushing and negative inventory things like this they sound they sound really painful to me. So. <laughs> Okay, it's a lot of fun, guys. Uh, okay, so the only thing we can take right now is going to be the closing advice. So, Bob, what is going to be your closing advice uh, as far as unit of measure goes? So my closing advice is when you're doing your ERP implementation, 30% of your time should be your chart of accounts. 30% of the time should be your part maintenance. 20% of your time should be your bill of materials, engineering, master, and shop resource. 10% for your numbering and document schema because people get that wrong and it can screw you up. And then 10% for everything else, because the rest of it doesn't really matter. You know, vendor, maintenance, whatever, numbers, who cares? I got that all set up. So okay, make sure amazing. you spend your time. Chart of accounts, part of maintenance. Thank you so much, Bob, for that. Uh, David, what would be your closing advice for today? I, I'm going to say when you're setting up that, I don't know if that was 110% or not, Bob. I wasn't I wasn't keeping track, but um, <laughs> we're good. When, when you're setting those things up, especially unit measure, 
get the right people in the room. That's the most important thing. Whether you have outside consultants, people that have worked with it before, get the folks that know how you're using that stuff because they're going to be able to tell you exactly how you need to track it, how you need to account for it. Um, Because there's a lot of different ways to do it, but you need the knowledge of people in there and just making assumptions on something this important. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, David, for that. So, Mark, I mean, my understanding of the process was the 10% of the time should be spent in, you know, your chart of account unit of measure. The 90% of the time should be spent on scheduling and MRP because that's where the real pain is. (laughs) So, what would be your closing advice? (laughs) No, I think to, um, to reiterate what's already been said, I mean, just emphasizing the importance of making sure you're you're paying attention to it. So bought 30% on part maintenance, but it's all of those facets, right? It's the purchasing, it's the it's the sales, it's the it's the usage, it's also the the production and looking looking at the way production really happens to make sure that that's that's reflective in in your routings. Um, it, so and because if you're not able to do that, if you're not able to express how production will actually happen in those structures, then you'll never be able to schedule Sam. Yep, I agree. Thank you so much, uh, Mark, for that. And uh, Jay, I think you are going to say that, you know what, ERP guys, you only get 10%, you know, it should be 90% e-commerce. <laughs> what would be your closing advice, please? <laughs> uh, well, I think I think the, my closing advice would be, uh, you know, remember your channels. Uh, understand your channel partners, um, whether distributors, whether you're selling on Amazon, whether you're selling in other marketplaces or whatever, and, under, and make sure you've accounted for all the different uh, units of measure and how each will need at some point some allocation to its own SKU, uh, in, in however you figure that inside the ERP. And then the other part of it is just to, to realize that there are, um, there are certain units of measure that um, are obviously going to be something that people would search for, um, whether it's, you know, gauge or, or uh, you know, circumference or weight or whatever it is. So um, how, how do you, how do you, build that into the ERP data if you don't have a PIM. Uh, and a lot of people don't in the early stages. So um, that's those. that would be my advice. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that. So that's it for today. If you joined for the first time, it was part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. We always have an expert panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. So we are going to be here next week with another topic. So don't miss next week's show. On that note, thank you, everybody, for your time and insight. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. Appreciate it. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about David Dozer, head over to blazeitweb.com. It's B-L-A-Z-E-I-T-W-E-B.com. If you want to learn more about Jay Schneider, head over to b2b-squared.com. It's b2b-squared.com. If you want to learn more about Mark Lilly, head over to lillyworks.com. It's l-i-l-l-y-w-o-r-k-s.com. If you want to learn more about Bob Feathers, head over to bindable.com. It's b-i-n-d-a-b-l-e.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Cristiano Garadini, who discusses the importance of costing granularity and why it's crucial to understand your product's profitability. Also, the interview with 
Bob Feathers, who shares his insights and lessons learned from a multi-site ERP implementation. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.